Hey, it's Dr. Angles. Welcome to Advocate. Please be advised that the subject matter that we will be discussing may be disturbing to some listeners. And a big shout out to my friend Corey Hendricks for allowing me to sample his song in Vicasio. You can now download his song from Apple Music, Spotify, and more. Go check him out, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, Advocate family. Welcome to episode two. I'm Dr. Ingalls, your host, sunny California, feeling a little under the weather, so no time like talking about true crime and serial rapists than when you're feeling low. I'm hoping it's not coronavirus. I um, hope you guys listening are all safe and healthy. <laughs> um, anyways, we left off with talking about um, just Golden State Killer was one of the big things that I brought up in my first episode and how he was discovered. And for those of you who listen, this will just be a reminder. And for those of you who didn't get to tune in to episode one yet, um, this might be a bit of a spoiler. So stop now, go back and listen and come back. Um, uh, or let yourself be spoiled. Either way. So the Golden State Killer, as a lot of you might know, was a serial killer and serial rapist who terrorized like all of California. He started with Northern California near the Sacramento area, and he kind of migrated down to Central California, Visalia, that sort of area. And eventually he went down even further to Orange County, Southern California. Um, and he his reign of terror was you know, several years in the late 70s to early 80s. And then he took a break, which we later discovered was because he married and had children and moved and, you know, things like that had happened. Um, and so then he re kind of showed himself again, reappeared. But from the mid 80s until most recently, I want to say earlier this year even, or later last year, no one knew who he was. We had an idea of what he looked like. We had some characteristics. Um, we had some ideas of the fact that maybe he had a military background just with how he went about, you know, doing some like reconnaissance of his victims prior to how he would call them, how he would break into their houses and he would, he would find guns and, um, take the ammo from them. He would find any weapons that were in the home or hide them. And he would already plant things that he would use to tie up his victims under their mattresses. Like he was very strategic. And so we knew that someone with this kind of level of strategy and this level of foresight into scoping out and, you know, getting prepared for his victim, there was some element of, you know, training involved, which could have been military or law enforcement. Turns out, I believe it was both. Um, so long story short, Joseph James D'Angelo was eventually discovered um, as being the Golden State Killer. And he most recently pled guilty to his victims. And I want to say, like, this Past, earlier this month or in that last month, um, he pled guilty to all of the rapes and murders that he was accused of in lieu of the death penalty. So he's going to be serving the rest of his life in prison. But given his age, which 
Um, I think he's in his late 70s, maybe early 80s, 74. He's 74. Um, he's not going to last very long in prison. He's actually looking pretty worse for the wear these days. Um, but anyways, so he was discovered because some DNA from a rape kit, several rape kits that Orange County, California, shout out to you guys, who kept the kits. I think it was Orange County. Maybe it was Contra Costa. I don't know. Whichever county you were. Shout out to you for not, not getting rid of or disposing of the rape kits, even if their statute of limitations has been surpassed. Because, because of that, we were able to catch him. So DNA from these rape kits that had been shelved and untested since the 70s and mid to late 80s um, was grabbed. And it was uploaded into 23andMe, which is like an ancestry and health um, vendor or specific DNA testing. Um, and you, they uploaded it and they were able to determine that there were relatives that were already in this DNA system that were a match. They were a very distant match, but they were a match nonetheless. And so from that, investigators were able to compile a family tree to determine, okay, you know, where can we work from this? And from that family tree, they used all of the characteristics and the appearance um, information that we had about him in terms of like his eye color, his height, his ethnicity, and they were able to narrow it down to like nine, ten people maybe. And then from there, they narrowed it down to six. And then from there, they were able to identify that there was a relative in common that fit the mold for this particular serial killer. And he happened to be in all the same places at all the right times. He had a history of being a former police officer who worked on the burglary unit and burglary and ransacking was a part of his criminal history or his crime sprees. And so they were able to determine that this guy meets the criteria. So they, Joseph James D'Angelo was identified and they took some of his trash from outside his, you know, his home and they took DNA off of his trash and they were compared it to the DNA from the rape kit and they got a hundred percent match. And so that's how they discovered um, Joseph James D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, or East Area Rapist, or Visalia Ransacker. He went by a number of names. But the, more importantly, he went decades without being caught. And if it wasn't for the diligence of investigators, some of whom aren't even a part of law enforcement any longer, and their diligence, and the diligence of Michelle McNamara, and her husband, Patton, her, well, the late Michelle McNamara, and her husband at the time, Patton Oswalt, he's a comedian and actor um, most of you have seen or know of, um, this probably wouldn't have happened, at least not as quickly as it did. So on that note, there, we have to wonder how many serial killers and rapists are out there who've been unidentified. And I know that there's a number that's been floated around by the FBI that there are an average of maybe 200 active serial killers or serial rapists at any given time. But I personally think that number is exponentially lower than the reality. Because the reality is, is people, people like Joseph James D'Angelo, they're smart, they're strategic, they have the training 
And what we do know about rapists, serial rapists, is that they're very opportunistic. So you're going to find that a lot of these individuals are people who have access, power, and means to their victims. And with Joseph James D'Angelo being on the burglary unit, he knew just how to burglarize a home and clean up the evidence. In fact, he was probably one of the, the officers on the scene once it was reported, which is even more terrifying to think of. Um, but given that we have seen that the testing of an, a 30-year-old rape kit, or several of them, was able to get us to Joseph D James D'Angelo through our ever-growing improvements of forensic technology and DNA testing, why hasn't this practice been handled with more? And I know there's one specific serial killer that has been active for a number of years and, well, I would say at least 20 years, who has never been caught and he's known as the Long Island serial killer or LISC as sh for short. He's also been known as the Gilgo Beach Killer. But he's been unidentified, and he is believed to have murdered 10 to 16 people over a period of 20 years. And just like the Grim Sleeper, who we'll talk about at another time, he, uh, he preyed on the disenfranchised. So he was opportunistic. He knew that disenfranchised individuals, primarily women who had... Um, substance abuse issues and who are sex workers, he knew that if he went after them, the police were likely not going to look for them as aggressively as they would if it was somebody who was not a sexual worker or somebody who wasn't addicted to drugs. And there's a whole other podcast on, on the systemic issues regarding that. But he, he preyed primarily on disenfranchised prostitutes and sex, or sexual workers with drug addictions, and he would leave their bodies in areas along the south shore of Long Island, New York. And a lot of the victims were found along Ocean Parkway. And I've never been to Long Island, New York, so I don't know how to really get descriptive in this. But I did watch this documentary about the list the Long Island serial killer. And I think for those of you who are Amazon Prime members, I think you can watch it on Prime. And it was called The Killing Season. And it was a very detailed account of this um, serial killer. And, where, and it kind of showed where these bodies were discovered. But these bodies were found along Ocean Parkway, which I guess is like near Gilgo Beach, which is where he got that nickname Gilgo Beach Killer at first. And Oak Beach... And both of them are in Suffolk County. And, and so when initially there were four victims were found in December of 2010. And six more remains were found in March and April of 2011. So police believe the latest sets of remains predate the first four that were found. So initially somebody stumbled across one body. And then near that body, three others were found. So there were four that were discovered in December of 2010. And so as they were, you know, securing that scene, they, along that, you know, that parkway there, six other bodies were found. Six other sets of remains were found later in May, March and April of 2011 that they think were killed before 
the first set that they discovered. So they, there's been a lot of speculation about, you know, whether or not this individual is working alone or if he is somebody that is working with another person. And the interesting fact about this is that, one, they're all disenfranchised sexual workers. They're all buried along the same stretch of Parkway. And based on what I could see from that documentary is that Parkway is kind of remote in a way. Um, it is not a whole lot of people that come and go over there. And really, the majority of the traffic that goes to through there is going to be, you know, people passing through, like, you know, as they're traveling, obviously, and just, you know, mundane reasons. But primarily, there's a lot of truck driving that goes through there. And then, of course, there's, you know, police. There's the highway enforcement and, you know, that monitor those areas. So there's been a lot of speculation that this serial killer or serial killers, because they still haven't really decided if it's one or two people working together, um, they, there's been some suspicion that they are, he or they, are um, either a long-haul truck driver who just so happens to pick up um, sexual workers at rest stops and takes them to this remote area under the premise that, you know, he's going to pay for services, but instead he's killing them, raping and killing them, and burying their bodies because there's not going to be a whole lot of traffic that goes through it certain hours of the night, so it's unlikely that he'll be caught. And if somebody was to drive through, seeing a truck, a long-haul truck pulled over with the lights off is not something that really generates alarm. We see that all the time. A lot of truck, long-haul truck workers will pull over and they'll just get like some sleep on the side of the road just to be, you know, safe in their job and keep us safe as they're driving. So when you see that, you don't really think, hmm, you know, I think there's a serial killer involved here. You think, oh, that person must be tired and taking a rest. At least I do. I don't know about you guys, but I don't automatically assume that there's serial killer at work. But that's one of the um, suspicions. And the other suspicion is that if it's an officer, an officer or a law enforcement official will very easily pull up to sexual workers who are trying to work for some money um, or seeking drugs and they are within, they have the authority and they have the power to order them to enter their vehicle and they can then take them to this remote area and, you know, engage in their crime for a, lot, for a more gentle way of putting it. But yeah, I mean, if you see a police officer or a police vehicle on the side of the road in the middle of the night with the lights off, are you really going to think anything other than they're just sitting there trying to patrol the area, um, that they're, you know, radaring for speed, you know, who knows, but you're not, you're not thinking that they're there doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Um, at least I don't. So, uh, anyway, so this has been something that's been going on for the last 20 years. Um, the first discovered 
body, a police officer was actually the one who discovered the first body before the four, the three remaining were found. And he happened to be on a routine training exercise with a dog. And he was, he found the first body he found was a skeletal remains of a woman. Um, and she, and she was in a burlap sack. And a lot of the remains that were found were found in burlap sacks. That's another thing. That's another key thing. Why burlap? And who, who generally has access to burlap? And who needs to constantly purchase burlap? So that was another interesting fact is that of all things, a police officer and his dog discover the skeletal remains of a woman. And once they discovered her, that led to the three other bodies that were found in the same area along the north side of Ocean Parkway. So once they found the, the four bodies in total, they were pretty much certain that they were dealing with a serial killer. And then when they found six additional bodies, they started to question whether or not this is a, like a one person or if it's two people working together. Um, they were able to release some composite sketches of some of the unidentified victims. I think it was just like two women. Um, oh, no, actually, it was a man. It was an Asian male and a woman. And they also released some um, photos of jewelry found with the remains. Um, they found a toddler as well um, with what they determined was the mother. They were buried together. And they were found a couple days apart, actually. So. I, they were buried near each other, but not together together. So they tried to release some composite sketches and some photos of jewelry and hoping that some family members would recognize something, recognize that piece of jewelry, recognize the composite sketches and be able to come forward and claim, um, claim the individuals and, and provide some information. But to this day... There is no I, real idea of who this individual is or individuals. And so it begs the question, if we are able to use DNA from scenes to upload into DNA databases of ancestry where hundreds of thousands of people have already uploaded their DNA and we're able to find some relative matches in there. And I know for myself, speaking for myself, I've got 23andMe and I have like 1,200 DNA relatives that are already like showing up under mine. So this is like, it's a very new way of, of using DNA evidence to find an individual that we have no place to start with except for the DNA itself. But why haven't we done that? I don't, you know, I don't understand that. I know that there's been a lot of speculation um, that the individual who, like, you know, I think the FBI got involved and they did a sort of criminal profile. And the speculation is that this is most likely a white male between his mid-20s to mid-40s at this point, because it's been 20 years, um, is very familiar with the South Shore of Long Island. He has access to burlap sacks, which he uses to hold the bodies for disposal. And he may have detailed knowledge of law enforcement techniques 
and perhaps ties to law enforcement, which have also helped him avoid detection. There are so many concerns regarding that because it's concerning to me that of all people to find the first body, it's a police officer on a routine training with his dog and just him and him alone. And it's concerning to me that there's speculation that this individual or individuals have detailed knowledge about law enforcement techniques, which means that either they themselves are within law enforcement or are military history, or they are connected to law enforcement in some way. And if you look, if you read this, or not read it, but if you watch this documentary about the killing season on Amazon Prime, there's some real, real concerns regarding the police chief of Suffolk County and his connection with these murders. And it goes into detail to showcase some of his, you know, aberrant behaviors. So the, this police chief, James Burke, was um, arrested and sentenced to like some several years in prison. I want to say it was like maybe three years in prison because he beat it. He was beating a man that stole a duffel bag filled with sex toys and pornography from his ta- from his vehicle. So he was reported for that. Um, and he ended up going to prison for that. And he was also accused of being sexually violent by, um, by a woman. So there's been some curiosity about his involvement in this. And again, it kind of, it just really is so familiar to the Golden State Killer. And I don't know why this particular case isn't getting that much attention. And the only reason I can think is that there really is ties to um, law enforcement in some way. So I think we need to start urging people and start having a real big discussion or some hashtag going where we start testing the DNA from these victims and uploading it into uh, like 23andMe or Ancestry DNA to start doing the same exact um, family tree that we did for the Golden State Killer so we can get an idea of who this is and get this person behind bars. Because if they're still estimated to be in their 20s to 40s, and that was around, that was like 10 years ago, then we this person is still going to be able to continue to be active. And if there's somebody who is in any way linked with law enforcement, they're at such uh, a, they're so much more of a risk to society. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the Lisk killer, but it's time we start talking about them. Check out that documentary, submit some suggestions or um, get online, start being some web sleuths. Let's find this guy and let's get him behind bars where he belongs. All right, Advocate family, till next time, take care.